Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all over the globe, the world, wherever you happen to be, whoever you happen to be with, I want you both to cuddle up real close. Clink those wine glasses and turn up the radio because this is Larry Charles, one half of the Game Dev Unchained podcast team. And the other person here, by way of Bitcoin millionaire himself, Mr. Brandon Pham. I should have bought more. Uh, that's all I should have said. All right, this is Brandon Fan. Welcome to this week's episode, bringing a special guest, Maria Vesichikova. Vesichikova, thank you. All right, uh, Maria, can you just say it one time, please? Vesichikova. All right, Maria Vesichikova, welcome. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I'm super excited to be here. Long time listener, first time uh, speaker, I suppose. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking that uh, if we, if Brandon, if you end up doing a spinoff, podcast of this you should call it the fam fam yeah of course <laughs> it's in the works since nice. the beginning <laughs> so uh as a longtime listener you know this is the part of the podcast where you come in kind of hit us up with your resume kind of like what you've been up to up to now yeah for sure so um my opportunities uh in the game industry started at obsidian entertainment I was super lucky and uh, started working with some of these really great folks from City Entertainment. That's where I met Larry mm-hmm. and uh, some other amazing folks. And most recently, I just accepted a new position at a studio also with Larry. I'm totally not stalking Larry, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, called Pound Sand in El Segundo, California. Yep. Pound Sand in the house. <laughs> Represent. I mean, you, you brought up a, a few good points. I mean, we cross paths like people in the industry all the time. Um, you know, you're you're being a, a recruiter, you being on the other side, speaking to pretty much being the first person that people talk to when they're coming into a company. Um, do you find a lot of people coming across uh, applications to the studio a lot? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, especially when working in studio, uh, especially if there's like a group of people in that studio who have all worked together for a long time, I definitely end up running into folks like I've I've talked to at, at Pound Sand. A lot of the founding members are from Pandemic Games, and so I'm running into a lot of candidates from Pandemic right now. Is it like uh, pretty common, uh, at least to get uh, recommendations uh, from from people that you work with, and how how much would you say percentage wise uh, that you guys bring in the people that you bring in are from uh, referrals? You know that's a really great question. So at Pound Sand, they're a really small studio, and uh, up until recently, they've pretty much been operating exclusively on referrals. Basically, like, hey, I know a guy that does hard surface. Boom, let's get him in. Mm-hmm. Whereas at Obsidian, there definitely are still people who refer candidates, but I think they they uh, are, are con- kind of considered differently. Maybe we don't immediately go to them first. And uh, I'm certain other studios, it's, it's the same way. Like, you know, if we're working in a 5,000-man studio, a referral to a department that may not even be relevant to you may not be exactly the same value, right? Well... Just to give everyone the topic of the podcast episode this week, this is the art of job getting, and I couldn't think of anyone better suited to help (laughs) people get jobs in the game industry than someone who essentially is like the first gatekeeper for a company, (laughs) uh, especially our company right now. I'm pretty sure you've seen some heinous resumes, Maria. Uh, If we could start maybe with a comical uh, note, is there maybe one, one major thing that stuck out in the last, let's say, 100 or so resumes that you've seen that is like, oh my God, this person did this, and is hilarious or they should never do it you know something funny we can kind of lean into honestly i've seen it all and i and like (laughs) i do truly mean that uh even uh even when i first started out in recruiting you know i i came into recruiting thinking 
there's this world of a million amazing resumes and you're just a drop in a bucket and, mm. and you know, uh, you're, you're lucky if you even end up getting a phone call. Right. Um, I quickly discovered that that was not the case <laughs> that, uh, yes, there can be a deluge of resumes, uh, finding the quality ones can definitely be an issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in terms of a, an example, I can't say if within the last a hundred resumes, cause I, I, I don't even know how many resumes I've looked at recently. But, like, that was just Monday. <laughs> but, but if I can think of uh, some weird examples that stand out to me, uh, my favorite one to reference is, um, so I was hiring for a uh, role. I want to say it was a design or a programming role. And I got uh, the file that was labeled resume, right? Mm-hmm. The content of that file was a job description for a completely different job <laughs> at a different company. <laughs> uh, like, and I'm talking, it was like marketing. It was a completely different, different space. Uh, I, I, I mean, obviously I give people the benefit of the doubt. I know people make mistakes. Believe me, I see them all, <laughs> but uh, I definitely want to know how a job description for a completely different job ended up titled as your resume and then ended up in a job application. <laughs> That's there's a lot of steps to get to that point. <laughs> that, is, that is an incredibly inaccurate shotgun approach, I guess. <laughs> Not only am I going to email all the game developers, I'm going to email like non game developers too and tell them that I want a game development job. Let's just go for the <laughs> shoot for the moon. Oh, yeah, definitely. It, and you speak a shotgun approach that is that is real. Mm. That is real. Like, um, I will have a person who the best part, my favorite part is when they don't even tell you what job they're applying for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're just like, hi, I want a job. <laughs> and, uh, and it's their resume. And then literally the, the two fields in the email is like two Sony, two Naughty Dog, two Bethesda, two Blizzard. Is Everybody just hit them all. Once I actually got, uh, it was just an alphabetical order. Mm-hmm. So it started at like Avalanche and just kept going all the way to like level to Zenimax or something. <laughs> I guess, yeah. What's crazy is like, and then you follow that up with like this heartfelt, you know, cover letter. Like, I just want to work for your company so bad. I, I've been playing all your games. I'm only a fan of your software. Avalanche, <laughs> Blizzard, Capcom, you know. What I mean? <laughs> yeah, everybody. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that too. Uh, I I suppose I can I can talk uh, company names, but uh, so at the time I was working at Obsidian, and Obsidian is located in Irvine, very very close to Blizzard Entertainment, mm-hmm. and there is a bit of a like sort of a candidate competition with uh, Blizzard. A lot of folks we, we hire are from Blizzard, and likewise, a lot of folks that leave Obsidian end up going to Blizzard. Mm-hmm because of the proximity and there was there was definitely a cover letter that came in that was like i will do anything to work at blizzard i have played every blizzard game i love blizzard i will work anywhere to work at blizzard 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 Blizzard. and at first i thought that oh hey maybe they just grabbed the wrong cover letter right they attached the to the the application no it was addressed to obsidian it was addressed (laughs) to my name Oh, That's really man. odd way to apply, and especially saying, "Hey, I, you know, I will work anywhere to work at Blizzard." Yeah, that's 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 a tough it's a really one. tough mentality. And going into that, I wanted to give another example. Hopefully, this person doesn't recognize what I'm about to say. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is the nature of HR. Uh, so uh, there is someone I don't know. Uh, sort of, I've seen on LinkedIn, but they're not in my networks. So I don't know them. And uh, their tagline said, uh, aspiring something engineer at this specific game company. Uh, let's just say it's rhymed with SMEA. <laughs> and <laughs> just making stuff up here. And uh, uh, so this person, you know, had the, the aspiring blank at ea Mm -hmm. and and so for already that was hitting red flags with me because i was like not only are you aspiring to this specific role that you are not currently in Mm -hmm. you're also setting this goal for this very specific game company right Mm -hmm. so this person had posted about how they did not they weren't having much luck getting jobs and uh a number of people commented like hey maybe don't put that 
thing in your description because any company that's not EA is going to be <laughs> like, okay, he wants to work for EA and not us. Yeah. So that's one thing. But the best part was is even after that individual changed their description, uh, later on I saw another post where they had a job at another company. Uh, they interviewed for the job. So on LinkedIn they posted – the name of the company, they, they tagged the, the company, they tagged the recruiter and said, just had a great interview with this company, uh, talked about this, this, and this. They're going to be a really great stepping stone to EA. Oh, <laughs> damn. And, like, you just tagged the recruiter in that, like, Dude, buddy. Talk, talk about it. Is there, is there a pattern with the uh, amount of experience that is attached to these weird cover letters? <laughs> Do you find it more with the the more newer guys than the veterans, or does it matter? It's just a mixed bag. Um, I would say it's a mixed bag. So the one thing I do get with candidates who have been around the rodeo for a while is uh, they just stop updating their portfolio after a certain point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I literally got a portfolio with PS2 uh, era mm. models. And I was mm. like, what am I supposed to do with that? We're not making a PS2 game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm going to need to see some recent work. Like, frankly yeah. speaking, the general rule of thumb is if it's oh, if it's more than five years old on your portfolio, it's probably not worth putting on there unless you've done absolutely nothing in the last five years, in which case mm-hmm. you probably should. Yeah. <laughs> so, That's a yeah. good rule of thumb. I like that one. I like that one. Yeah. It's also really important to just curate your portfolio on a regular basis. Like don't, don't just be like, all right, it's been five years since X amount of time, you know, um, you know, regularly, uh, at least say once a year, mm. give it a look over and see, okay, this is the weakest project I have on my portfolio. Mm. Because remember, you're always going to be evaluated at your weakest project. Damn. Like this is going to sound pessimistic, but, but if, if, if you have, you know, it's better to have like four okay examples than like 12 so-so examples, right? Uh, you're going to want to to curate your work so that you only, you legitimately only show your best work. Mm-hmm. And this can be really hard for some people. I understand that. So when it comes to like uh, different disciplines, like these... <laughs> Let's, let's just start with design <laughs> because I feel like <laughs> with artists, it's easy, right? With artists, we show up, uh-huh. uh, it looks good or not, right? Mm-hmm. The design, I feel like half their portfolio is when they show up at an interview. <laughs> when yes. they're just yes. waving their uh-huh. hands. For sure. So what what is it exactly when it comes to you first? Like, what is it about mm-hmm. a designer, a programmer, um, you know, pretty much all the disciplines that uh, you see is like, all right, this is something worth pushing forward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, I will start with design. As you mentioned, Uh, design is its own beast, right? Uh, The the three sort of well-accepted large areas of design are level design, systems design, and narrative design, right? Uh, Many companies that are relatively small don't employ individual people for these specific roles. Mm-hmm. So if you're coming up against, you know, Sony or whoever, they're like, hey, we need a narrative designer on MLB the show. And that's totally a role that I found once. And I was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so basically at this point, you know, if you worked for say, let's say three years as a generalist game designer, mm-hmm you might not come off as a very strong candidate for this narrative role because they're going to be wanting you to come in with this narrative experience. Right. And I totally understand that different games have different requirements. So your job is, or your experience as a designer may not always fall into every design role. Mm. Uh, You know, systems, system designer. So I tell like it is Larry. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, uh, yeah, so basically, if you're a generalist designer, some if you apply to, say, a narrative design job, depending on the needs of that role, they might not actually see you as qualified enough because you might have needed that three years experience in specifically narrative design. It just really depends on the, the role. And then on top of that, if you go another level further, after the, the, the specializing in experience, 
you're going to go into style. So this is similar to art, obviously, but if I'm designing a narrative design, for example, for a fantasy title, that's going to be an entirely different style of writing to say writing on Mass Effect or writing on MLB the show. Mm -hmm. These are going to be different types of writers. Right. And uh, I, I don't, think that it's possible to really be good at all of them. I think it's possible to try, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I, I, uh, there's definitely a lot of limitations to certain genres and things like that. So I don't expect every narrative designer out of the gate to uh, come in there and be great at every style. I'm looking mm -hmm. for the one that's good at the style that I'm looking for. All and right. that's, that's kind of what part of the iron process is. So I've got a question for you, and I think I kind of know where your answer is going to be, but there's some listeners out there who don't have my brain. <laughs> so I'm going to ask on their behalf, not my own. <laughs> that's, okay. that's my that's my disclaimer. Um, so I'm a student, right? I believe that I have okay. talents as a designer, as an animator, as a concept artist, or more specifically, I'm going to poke fun at the artist this time because it's usually the artists that do this. <laughs> I'm an environment artist, prop artist, character artist, right out of college. I can do all of these three. My website says that. My demo reel says that. My business card says that. My resume says that. How well am I going to do if all of those things are just eh? Larry, you're just trying to get me to break hearts, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> all right, then. Okay. So if you work at a company that's small, say under... 20, 10, 15 people, mm -hmm. there is a chance that you can get a role that does all of those things. However, the vast majority of companies that the most students want to get into definitely don't. And in fact, companies that are over like, let's say two or 300, they get so specialized that, mm -hmm. that uh, you actually can have an extremely small part of the pie. I've been in situations where I've evaluated candidates where They've worked in these extremely large companies and they never really got a chance to work on like, for example, this was for art role, these character artists that never got to work on a full human model. They just got to do a scarf here and a face there and a mm. tattoo there and a shoe there. Right. Mm. Um, so it can actually get too specialized um, as a student. Uh, yes, it is super awesome to be diversely skilled and you may land in a super awesome lucky position where you'll be able to utilize those diverse skills. But keep in mind two things. One, you probably will not get a role doing all of those things at once. You will probably get a role doing one. You might be able to get a role doing two of them. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is what you're interested in now is not always what you end up doing in the long term, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I wanted to be a sound designer. Wow, I'm check not you out. out right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 really not at all what I'm doing now, and that's a good thing. And that's just because sometimes once you get onto the once you actually start working in the space, you realize this is not for me. Or, hey, this job has way more challenge or way more, you know, rewards that I'm looking for. So uh, definitely use your, your diverse experience as an advantage to discover your true passion. But don't think that you'd be able to get a job doing everything, uh, at least not at a major uh, game company or publisher. Well, fair enough. You straight from the horse's mouth, as they say. <laughs> I've always tried to like, so maybe correct me then. I've always tried to tell students like, hey, man, you're not even in the industry or girls, by the way, uh, you're not even in the industry. You don't have a whole lot of experience besides like college homework or, you know, end of uh, semester projects. Mm -hmm. It's hard for you to kind of advertise yourself as a bunch of different things. And I've always tried to say like, pick the strongest one and try to yes. make a really good impression in that area. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if I, uh, if I've led anyone astray, forgive me. That's, I guess that's kind of where I stood on the subject. <laughs> and, Oh, and a follow up to that. If you are one of those people that does all of those things, uh, a recruiter may not always be the right person to answer that question for you. Hey. If you say, Hey, I do 7,000 things. Can I have a job doing any one of them? <laughs> a recruiter is not going to be able to sit there and figure out what you're good at, mm. uh, to find you a job that way. You need to take that initiative and say, Hey, 
this is the programming role. This is the programming work I've done. This is the engine work I've done. I'm experienced working with this hardware, you know, this software, these version control uh, technologies. So do your due diligence. Don't, Don't try to have a recruiter do that work for you because... I love you, but I don't have time to do that. <laughs> Damn. All right. No problem. <laughs> so I have a question for like the inverse of that. So like uh, the same way we kind of talk to students and uh, generally we pretty much everyone agrees that students, you should focus on one thing because it's your first job mm-hmm. and you're not in the industry yet. Mm-hmm. And then you you see the veteran guy who's very uh, pigeonholed into one particular position. They get really good at one position oh, good one. and then they become maybe less valuable to a smaller company. Like mm-hmm. how, how do you feel about that side of the spectrum? Yeah, for sure. So one thing that I like to stress, especially when working with students or, or people entering the game industry is, uh, and this is something that's not really discussed in schools and other sort of career spaces for games is the fact that, Game industry jobs, not only are they competitive, but there's also a different availability of entry-level roles for specific disciplines, right? So, like, you're probably not going to find uh, an entry-level systems designer. That's probably not going to happen, right? Uh, you might. You certainly might. But it's it's going to be a much rarer role uh, than, say, uh, an entry-level or an entry-level level designer. Mm. So... What you can do is say, start out in level design, work your way up, you know, do your do your job, prove that you're a good employee and, and willing to learn, and then pivot in the direction that you kind of want to head in. And this is where a lot of people discover that, oh, actually, I love level design or, oh, actually, screw numbers. I'm going to do narrative design or whatever. You know, that's that's where the discovery lies. Now, to answer your question directly, obviously, it's important to keep in mind the hireability of of jobs. So if you're doing an extremely, extremely specific job, uh, keep keep an eye out for the market, you know, the market need for that sort of job. And also I'm a big proponent of personal projects. Hey, if you got pigeonholed into one thing, start doing personal projects that expand your skills. Cause I'm going to be looking for that. If I, if I see a person who maybe is deficient in certain skills, I'm going to see where their personal projects are. If they've tried to push out their skills and fit better into that role. Amen. I like that. <laughs> I need to go work on some personal projects. <laughs> well, Maria, it's, it's, oh, oh no, sorry. No, 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 go ahead. Uh, it's definitely happened before where I've interviewed a person and, you know, said, Hey, this person like technically doesn't based on the, the work that they've had on their portfolio or perhaps the work that they've done at a job hasn't met the needs of, of the role that we're hiring. But these personal projects that they're working on have really assuaged any concerns I've had in that space. And those are the people that succeed. Okay. Well, I, uh, I was going to ask you this question. Well, actually, I think I'm still going to ask you this question. So okay. what would you say is the thing that most people overwhelmingly do wrong like the most frequently right like what is the most common i guess error or the most common don't do this that you see too often absolutely and this might shock some of you uh it certainly shocked me when i got into recruiting let me tell you maybe maybe i'm in uh, i'm in the minority anyway uh when you apply to a job cater your application to that job (laughs) you don't want to see that i worked at like barnes and noble well it's 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 a lot bigger than that like um say you know for example uh i'm applying to uh let's say bethesda just a a random throwaway uh if you don't really show that you've done work let's say you're applying as a designer at bethesda uh Let's if, if you don't really show any work that you've done in the creation engine, it's going to be really difficult for a person on the Bethesda side to be to see how your work is relevant to the role that they're because you're going to be working in the creation engine like very very clearly. You know, there's a lot of these companies that have a very determined engine that you work in. So, you know, if you're working for EA, you're probably going to be working in Frostbite. I don't think they're coming out with anything that's not in Frostbite. Mm-hmm. So 
if you come in there showing the match three games you've done, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> but that application is going to fall flat a bit compared to the, the, the modders out there. I mean, you've, I'm sure you've seen some of these crazy mods out there uh, at Obsidian. We hired a very prominent Oblivion modder who uh, we actually kind of stole him from Bethesda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, basically the two of us were in the same uh, running with him and we ended up getting him. So, uh, and this was during the time of Fallout New Vegas. So you can gotcha. see where the, the tool set came into play mm-hmm. and he leveraged his experience in it to say, hey, this is what I've done that's relevant to you. Do you want to hire me, maybe? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, if you come into Bethesda showing your Match 3 games, that's awesome. But Bethesda's not going to be making a Match 3 game anytime soon. <laughs> Even the mobile games that they do have are outsourced to other Cinemax family studios. So, yeah. Fair enough. All right. Tailor my portfolio and my resume. Got it. Tailor portfolio, tailor resume. Uh just, just do everything you can to connect. I, I like to think of it as connecting the dots. Okay. Uh, and this especially comes to uh, comes to play in your cover letter. This is, your cover letter is one of the most important elements. So you want to connect the company to the job is, is that you're looking at, the job posting, mm-hmm. your experience, and then you as a person. So all these things need to be connected. So you need to connect how does your past experience match up the job that is posted. How does you as a person connect to this company that you want to work for? Right. Uh, you, need, you need to cover all these elements in, in your, across your application really. And that's part of, you know, tailoring your application. Say if you're applying for an unreal Four job, take a, a moment to grab all the projects that you have that are shareable that are in unreal Four, and be like, Hey, this is what I've worked in Unreal 4. But mm-hmm. Especially if you know the kind of titles that the, the company has worked on in the past, show them work that is like their work. That's the quickest way to just go get an interview. <laughs> you're, you're saving everybody time by doing that, basically. <laughs> what if so you... We, oh, sorry. Let me jump in. What if you're a little behind, right? Like let, maybe you see the job posting and you're like, oh, man, I'd be perfect for this job. And you don't necessarily have time to kind of pivot uh, or create new work. Is there a suggestion for people kind of in that boat where it's like, ah, okay, yeah. Well, so one, keep in mind the uh, hiring process at a company that you apply for. If you apply at a small company, you're probably sending it directly into someone's inbox. That person's probably going to look at it the next day. Mm -hmm. And the process is probably going to be fairly quickly because there's not a lot of hands that the resume has to go through. Mm -hmm. If you're applying it, say just going to throw out their Sony. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think their recruiting team has, has like 20 or so people involved. Uh, And there's different recruiters for specific disciplines. So say if you sent your, let's say marketing application to the programming recruiter, that's going to be another extra step that it has to go through. So uh, one of the easiest ways you can do that is to reach out to the relevant person directly. Mm. LinkedIn is a great resource. You can just type in the company that you're trying to apply to at HR or recruiter or hiring or um, something like that. And sometimes you'll actually find the actual recruiter in charge of specific discipline, like you know, this person who exclusively does programming, right? And then if you if you can get in touch with that person, you've already, you know, skipped a few steps. Hey. You've been able to circumvent the uh, this, the process. That's a big time tip. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the process, uh, so we have a mutual friend, uh, <laughs> Jim Rivers. Yes. Uh, hey. So he, he kind of sort of confirmed, and I don't, I don't, you know, wonder if you have something to add to it about how, uh, you know, you guys get together and talk sometimes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> the recruiters of the world. Uh, so, like, how, what types of people do you guys warn each other about? Uh, and if you have a particular story about, no, it doesn't have to be too specific, but like, uh, a warning uh, about a person that everyone's talking about within a given time, right? This uh-huh. guy, oh, this guy too. You had that guy. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, just to generalize, really, uh, people that I don't recommend are one of two categories: one, bad attitude people, people who bring in negativity into the office, leave that shit at home. 
Mm-hmm. Don't bring, don't, I understand that you might be going through stuff. And I, I totally understand also involving, you know, your coworkers in kind of your personal life. I know it's a very close industry, mm-hmm. but if you're going to come in and be like, Oh, I hate working here. Oh, I hate commuting an hour and a half. Uh, it's like, Oh, you, you hate having a job. Okay. <laughs> hey, we can fix that. <laughs> and the other thing is, uh, people who, uh, affect other people's productivity. Mm-hmm. So if this is, if someone who is disruptive, someone who, uh, uh, who has issues with their ego, um, those are people that I, I don't, like to recommend because even though on the initial, they might interview perfectly fine, mm. but once you get them into a team situation, you realize, Oh, this person completely hijacks meetings trying to talk about their own agenda or, you know, person who always has to have the last say or person who always wants to go with their idea, regardless of, of the value of that idea, because they're unable to acquiesce to other people's, you know, vision. This is those. These are really big red flags that can be kind of hard to tell in some interviews. Um, and so, if if I've had a super negative experience, uh, thankfully I've really not had to uh, uh, not had to kind of stink on anyone really. Mm-hmm. Um, anything like, especially speaking with Jim because I do communicate with Jim a lot. He's kind of my mentor. Hey, uh, shout out to Big Jim when, by the way. I just wanted to Jim, that in there. Jim, you're the man. <laughs> you're the man. <laughs> uh, in the case of Jim, uh, any anything that I knew, he already knows because he also talks to a number of other people who also told him the same thing. So, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, and your network knows. Just so you know, don't think that you can be a shit somewhere and just run away <laughs> and get away with it. People know. <laughs> the image is small, man. Uh, it, it, yes, so I was just going to say reputations <laughs> move faster than you do. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, Maria, I have a question for you. Have you ever caught somebody in a lie on their resume or in their interview where they're just totally like, yeah, I was responsible for X. And you're like, actually, I know the person who did that. And they said that you didn't do shit. Has that ever been? Yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes. yes. So I uh, think, unfortunately, I actually wasn't in the room, but this is the worst case that I've seen. And it was, uh, we were interviewing, uh, my my team was at the second stage of the interview, the phone interview. Mm-hmm. And a person had something on their portfolio that a person in the room created. Mm. <laughs> Damn. Don't do that. It's <laughs> pretty bad. Well, they probably didn't know, but still that's like yeah. the worst luck in the world. Uh-huh. Yeah. Was it like that person was a, at least a part of it or was he completely hijacked? Honestly, or? I'm not sure. Perhaps they didn't label their portfolio enough to really specifically outline which element of the work was theirs. I, I'm not sure I wasn't there, mm-hmm. but I do know that the team felt uncomfortable enough that they, they really felt like the person was overplaying their involvement in that particular project. Mm-hmm. And they also, mm-hmm. the person who worked on it said that they did not work with that person. So wow. <laughs> sounds like a designer. sounds like somebody just took a drawing signed their name on it and framed it put it up on the wall yeah that could happen to you i have uh the other thing i've seen is and this this isn't a candidate that i actually spoke with but a candidate that i came across is uh their work was in like tiny tiny squares like like 300 by 300 and the concept art which they did not do was in like Mm. full screen below it Uh, i don't know if intentional. it certainly looked intentional on their web page because their their modeling work was you know not to the level of the concept artists Uh, Mm -hmm. so i feel like they they were trying to somehow highlight the work of the concept artist while underplaying the quality of their work and i mean you're not gonna get away with that it's yeah you know I see a million portfolios. I know what to look for. <laughs> the theft is real. <laughs> so there, there are like a n- numerous amount of events uh, that happens throughout the year, and you know, and opportunities to get jobs and uh, for recruiters to get good candidates. I mean, GDC is one, of course. Are there other ones throughout the year that you recommend? Uh, you know, around the month times where you guys are really active and would you say when you meet these candidates at these uh, conventions or whatever, mm-hmm. what percentage of that actually turns into a full time? 
Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. Uh, so networking in physical space really depends on the, the event, obviously, and the discipline. So you're going to see a lot of SIGGRAPH, uh, you know, like artists, for example, art roles at SIGGRAPH. Um, I know companies such as Blizzard, you know, they have a recruiting space in, at BlizzCon and they also do recruiting panels as well. But I, I'm not sure what kind of output they get on that. Uh, I think GDC is fantastic, but not specifically for on-site at GDC, just the actual running into people and speaking to them and learning from them and networking with them. I think the even just being in the area of GDC is extremely valuable for networking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's just the, the chance networking that you do will really make a difference. Um, as to other events, I think aside from that, you kind of want to stick to the area in which the company is in because uh, they're probably going to be there because it's a relatively low cost expenditure for them to attend. Mm-hmm. So if you have like an IGDA chapter in the area of, of where your company is, is at, so like say, uh, you know, Sony, they're probably going to be at, in the, in the area of Los Angeles because this, this, you know, a number of studios in this area. So you're probably going to be more likely to run into those people there. Uh, there's a lot of networking events at schools, too. They're not always list, uh, restricted to the school itself. So you can attend a career fair at a school and not necessarily be a member of that school. It just depends on the event. Mm-hmm. And w- what are the hot months that you guys are pretty pretty active? Uh, you mean recruiters are active? Yeah. Or well, just jobs? generally, I guess, I mean, are there common months where companies are just looking for candidates uh-huh. to for for new projects that are starting or projects that are you know beginning. yeah definitely so if you, if you think about a project life cycle mm-hmm. and you should definitely be aware of a project life cycle before going into job application because those will really help you understand where in the process you are uh for example uh pretty much every AAA game developer slash publisher will hire qa six months out from release Mm-hmm. because they're usually like, oh, shit, it's polishing time. Let's get some QA in here. <laughs> that sounds uh, like a like a producer superheroes tagline. <laughs> it's polishing time. <laughs> it's polishing time. Oh, yeah, man. most, most uh, AAA games, developers and publishers, 6 to 12 months out of their release, they're going to be looking for QA. Mm-hmm. That's just an example. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, really early in the process of a game, they're probably not going to be hiring certain extremely specific roles. And more than often, if it's a studio, uh, if it's a studio as opposed to a publisher, they're more likely to pass on the developers from one project into the next project. And so maybe the members on the team that are at the beginning of the, of the process will be members that were already at that company. Mm-hmm. So things like that. Um, and, and that kind of goes back into... Uh, knowing your audience. So if you're applying at a small company, like say pound sand and you have uh, your experience is in something super specific, like uh, copywriting, copy editing, Mm -hmm. Uh, as much as I would love to have a copywriter for pound sand, uh, we just don't have that kind of workload. Right. Uh, We just don't have the the work needed to keep a full-time copywriter on staff. Mm -hmm. Uh, I actually had an interesting exchange at E3 last year where there's these two students who were interested in getting into games. One said he wanted to do storyboarding except the art. And the other said, Wait, I want to do storyboarding. <laughs> what do you, what do, you yeah. do? It's just like no, printing? I, I, printing the paper? No. <laughs> Believe me, I, I was sitting there puzzled as well. So one of them said... I want to do storyboarding, but just do the art. And the other one said, I want to do storyboarding, but I want to just do the words. Mm. And I know that that definitely. (laughs) So tracking shot. (laughs) Because I work a lot with students, I understand students speak and I know where this kind of idea comes from. And it's the fact that student development classes don't always have enough people to create a game together. So they will often do storyboarding and some, students will you know kind of transport that knowledge and think oh storyboarding is a job you can have Mm. not unless you work at riot probably not (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know the only companies that i know that hire a full-time storyboard artist would be riot maybe blizzard 
maybe Bethesda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have, you know what? Probably Naughty Dog too. Yeah. Those are yeah. the only ones that I can really think of. Actually, like someone who just does storyboards. Yeah. Teams that have a cinematic department yeah. pretty much. For sure. If they uh-huh. have a, but even then, right? Like full time. Yeah. 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 If you think about that, that you know, what does day. that mean for job prospects for you? Not only are there, let's say, four storyboard artist jobs ever available. Yeah. And you also have to be really, really good to get into one of them. Yeah. So think about that. And there's already you're... people at that company yeah. that are waiting for like Chuck or Mary to retire so that they can yeah. be the storyboard artist. Yeah. Right? And it's it's really not uncommon for people uh, who do 2D art to do things like storyboarding and UI and, mm-hmm. you know, mm. other things. So it's, it's in yeah. the case of really competitive roles, uh, it's important to diversify. Right. Yeah, I haven't really met a storyboard artist before in any of the teams I've worked on, actually. Yeah. So if you're a student and you graduated and you you really want to be a storyboard artist, you know, <laughs> good luck. That's it, man. That's a wrap for you. <laughs> we just you move on. Just turn to the left. You can, Talk you to can the other student. Comics. Like, you can totally get a job storyboarding, just life. not in games. <laughs> I feel like uh, that's one of the roles where you would kind of have to create your own path and be famous for it and then get hired. Like, cause uh, I, I can't see a clear path for like, all right, I want to be a storyboard artist. It's competitive. I have no name. People aren't aware of my ability to produce work. Uh-huh. How do I, I would imagine that person needs to just make content and put it out, like work on indie projects, work on uh-huh. small shorts, do something. Uh-huh. Uh, but I don't know other than that personally. So another point on uh, knowing your your audience and specializing in the the correct space. I was at a party uh, in the the Orange County area, and uh, this party tended to have. So this is a lot of uh, student game developers from a local uh, university, okay. and I heard someone from the other side of the room. I didn't see them, but I heard them loudly pro- proclaim these words that have hollowed through my mind since then. <laughs> it was basically I am a hard surface environment texture artist and I want to be a character artist at Blizzard. Ooh. Okay. Hey. You know what? <laughs> and I, Kudos for standing up in the middle of a party and just dropping your nuts like that and saying <laughs> this is what I want to do. Like that because- I can there's so many levels on which that does not mesh, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. not only are you specifically doing textures when you're talking about a character art role, mm-hmm. but you're also doing environment work, which you're talking about character art, and you're st- focusing in a realistic style. None of the Blizzard properties are in a realistic art style. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's just a matter of that's what they're currently working on. And that's just the reason why they mentioned it. But uh, it was, it was a little, I kind of choked a little bit because I I just kind of wanted to be like, no. (laughs) They probably saw it on a career site and you know how you positions are like listed. Uh I just read down that list and thought that was the one. and, and, And Brandon, I'm sure you can attest to this. Everybody and their mother and their dog wants to be a character artist. Mm-hmm. That's that's not meant to be derogatory. That just means everybody wants to be a character artist. There are way fewer character art jobs than environment mm-hmm. jobs. Right. Like like an order of magnitude fewer. Right. Uh and and I, I'm not saying that to be discouraging, but I am saying that to mean there is no shortcuts to hard work and determination and working on your portfolio and actually getting to where you want to go mm-hmm. and not complaining about recruiters on LinkedIn. Mm. Oh, do, you, <laughs> do you actually see that a lot? Yes. Someone brave enough to, to kind of trash talk all the recruiters. On no, the recruiters are keeping me from getting my job that Blizzard owes me. <laughs> LinkedIn is like your home. It's like the recruiter's safe haven, man. It's, right. You don't go to I, someone's I never home. Understood, <laughs> I never understood trash talking recruiters on, on LinkedIn because it doesn't matter which recruiter it is. You've already yeah, made you mess with the, like, everyone. Yeah. You've put a stain on your reputation basically by saying, well, you know, flip this recruiter because whatever. It's it's like, first of all, not only are you doing something that's not productive and it's not helping you be a better, you know, candidate whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But now any other recruiter who sees that is going to be like, well, fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Copy, paste, blacklist. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, 
and yeah, uh, the, uh, like, let's expand that point a little bit to like, hey, yeah, maybe be aware of your social media presence mm-hmm. because, it, it, and I will say that it's definitely more important in certain roles in certain companies than others. But uh, I've looked at a candidate's page before. I've been like, oh, maybe not. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. Mm. Uh, if, if you're gonna, you know, do your thing on social media, but if you don't want that to be seen by a recruiter, privatize it, mm-hmm. like hide that because it will be seen. Mm-hmm. It will be found. Mm-hmm. Maria, Brandon, I hate to do this to you guys, but I looked down at my watch. And I realized that I have not asked Maria the fast five and I cannot let this podcast go on any longer without putting you to the test. Maria, are you ready to play the fast five? Yes, I am ready. So I know you know what we're about to do, but in case the one or two people who are new listeners to this podcast right now, the fast five, I'm going to ask Maria five rapid fire questions and I'm going to need five rapid fire answers. One last time to quit. Tap out early. Maria, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Question number one. Are demo reels still relevant? Uh, If you're a VFX or lighting artist, yes. If you're a modeler, no. All right. Question number two. What's your favorite game franchise? My favorite game franchise. Can I choose three? Is that is that is that you, cheating? You can choose one because I said favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Darn you, Larry. Uh, I'll say the Witcher franchise. Oh, that's a great choice. You know what? Since you're so nice and I love you like that, what are the other two? Uh, Guild Wars okay. and Bioshock. Oh, awesome. That's extra content for us. I definitely agree. Guild Wars is cool, but Bioshock probably for me between the two, I think Bioshock is dope. Brandon, how about you? You want to weigh in before I move forward? I like Bioshock. (laughs) (laughs) Brandon worked on Bioshock. 200 hours in the Witcher franchise combined, and I have, I want to say, somewhere near 500, 600 in Guild Wars. Actually, it's probably more like 700. Oh, damn. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I see why that one beat Bioshock. Uh, Number three, most shocking moment in a game cutscene for you? Most shocking moment in a game cutscene? Ah... Uh, well, I have to say that the the, end, the the start of The Last of Us definitely ripped all of my heartstrings out. Oh, I, yeah, I'll give you that one. Towards the end, right? No spoilers, but yeah, yeah, toward, yeah okay, no spoilers. Yeah. I know what you're talking the about. end of the beginning. Exactly. Yes, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, next question: What is the next game that you want to play? The next game that I want to play, all of them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really like to play God of War, but it's not out. So, um, I'm trying to finish Echo right now uh, by uh, Ultra Ultra. Mm-hmm. Uh, really great, fantastic game that really flew under the radar. I'm trying to finish it. I'm not very good at it, so we'll get there one day. <laughs> okay. And I would also like to play Assassin's Creed Origins because I'm oh. a huge Egyptology nerd and that's right up my alley. Hey. Uh, Christmas is right around the corner, listeners, in case anyone wants to help Maria out. And yeah, this, this last question is from our last week's guest, Mr. Alvin Nelson. Oh, dear. Yeah, he, he gave you a tough one. Uh, and I don't believe he knows that you're the guest, but it's funny how this worked out. His question to <laughs> you is, what department do you hate the most at a game company? What department do I hate the most? Yeah, it says design. <laughs> Besides design, <laughs> yeah. Let us let us skate by. <laughs> if if we're talking art, design, programming, production, audio, I don't hate any of them. I do I do truly love them all. I think they're all awesome and hardworking. And that's not a political answer. I really don't hate any of them. Right, which one do you admit, love the least? Then <laughs> <laughs> I will admit that I I don't speak bleep bloop, so I'm not really an effective communicator with programmers. <laughs> There you have it, programmers. I, I wish I was better. Uh, that doesn't mean that I dislike programmers. I just wish that I knew how to communicate better with them. <laughs> Good answer. Uh, so you see what I was saying before the podcast? I was like, you're probably going to skate around this question. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true. I don't hate any of them. The, the people that, that are hardest to work with, I think, are executives mm-hmm. because you, you're busy, right? And then, then I'm like, I need an answer to do the thing. Uh, so, but if you're talking art design, yeah, all those guys, no, nah, I love them all. They're all good guys. <laughs> so Maria, since you've completed the fast five, uh, our first little gift to you, if you have a, a moment or two to come up with one is what question would you like to throw at our guest for next week? What question would I like to throw at the guest next week? Yeah. Um, uh, what 
genre do you think is super underappreciated and why? All right. Add it to the roster. Hopefully that's a good question. (laughs) Got it. You are, you are scribbled into my book and I will make sure that the next guest has to answer that question. Thank you very much for playing. I really appreciate it. It was fun. It was fun. Hopefully I get good answers. We'll make sure Brandon gets you a signed copy of Bioshock. And <laughs> I'll sign everyone's name on it. Don't worry. <laughs> just write Brandon Fam 30 times. <laughs> By Brandon Fam. I'll just like scratch Brandon other words. Brandon Shock. <laughs> Shock. Oh, man. All right, so, so let's get oh yeah, go ahead. Uh, let's get back into the resume and the job getting. Uh, Maria, uh-huh. I've been unemployed for about four years. Uh, okay. I think my work is good, but for some reason, I'm just having trouble. And I believe it just could be that like people see such a lapse, you know, yeah. in my work history. So, what would you advise me to do? I guess in that type of a situation. Uh, there's a lot of things you can do. Oh yes. Uh, there's, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of things to do. So one, definitely side projects. Always, always hustle side projects. Always. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is uh, do stay on networking because if you stop going to events, if you stop talking to people, time passes, people forget. Right? You have to continue. And I know it can be difficult. I know it can be difficult if you've if you've lost your job or if you've been out of the circuit for a while, and it can be hard to maintain that that energy and that drive to continue to keep applying to keep networking to do your thing but you have to keep on it and that's why it's important to have a good support system to keep you in your your game and keep you you know where you're good uh the other thing is uh definitely take a look at your resume uh see if there's something or 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 um your your, you know portfolio or whatever what have you like I mentioned, you know, that, that guy that had the PS2 era models on his portfolio, that's not going to do any good for me. Yeah. <laughs> take off the garbage, <laughs> take off the old stuff, take off your weak work. Uh, you know, I, I had an art director that um, I looked at their resume and they had experience going all the way back to 1990. And you mm. know what their first list experience was? A cart pusher at like some grocery store somewhere. Oh, you man. don't need that on your resume. You've done a lot. Just put, <laughs> just take that stuff off. <laughs> uh, give, give your resume a refresh. If you, if you, if you have the means, I think it's, it's a good idea to get in touch with a good recruiter who could give you good feedback on your, on your resume. Um, sometimes at a networking event, you can do it sort of thing, portfolio reviews. Super important. Uh, I think the biggest problem I see most people doing is they ask for feedback and they never implement it. Hmm. Uh, and that's 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 a really huge thing. When people say, "Hey, maybe you should do a little bit of this," or "Hey, maybe you should take this this project off your portfolio. It's not your strongest work." Don't get married to your projects. If uh, if multiple people are kind of telling you, "Hey, this work isn't really your strongest work. You should really highlight this work more," you should listen to those people. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Because sometimes you can get really attached to something. You can say, "Oh my, I really loved this model. I worked so hard on it." But maybe you've you've got better work than that now, and uh, it's not really representative of your skills. Damn, Maria, you dropped so many like knowledge bombs in that. <laughs> I kind of want to just cut that piece of the podcast and make a commercial out of it or something. That was good. Thank you. Yeah. Happy to help. So how'd you learn so much about, I mean, I know Jim Rivers obviously is a, is a big help, but like this couldn't have all just been Jim gave you like the guide to recruiting and then just said, <laughs> you know, you are now the Jedi. Like <laughs> how did, is this, experience is it like i mean what you just you you seem to have all the knowledge honestly it came from a lot of things first and foremost my my first big realization in recruiting was coming through the regular volume of resumes and things that i usually come through Mm -hmm. and having to understand this is a role that i'm hiring for this is the needs of that role here is let's say a hundred people who applied for that role probably 20 of those people's resumes are even remotely relevant. Probably 10 people of those resumes are even worth talking to. And then probably five of those people are available in our price range, got the right experience and actually possibly relevant and a good culture fit for the studio. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, it can be, 
it can be kind of tricky. <laughs> uh, the, the, where I learned all that stuff from, I think, is, is just the trial by fire, is just the seeing the deluge of resumes and, and seeing how to, how to make, you know, organize from the chaos. And what I like to do, and I think is important for a lot of recruiters to do, is stay involved on the side of the developer or, or the team that you're recruiting for. Uh, I know that it's not always possible, but if I am there and I'm present and I know the needs of my team and the kind of problems that they face, that's the most effective way that I can find the most effective person to solve those problems. So that's that's kind of where it comes from. Where I learned it from, honestly, it was all just trial and error. I'm still learning. I, I By no means am I an expert, but... Uh, seeing a thousand resumes does help <laughs> really puts things into perspective. <laughs> uh, but it's just, you know, trial and error. Uh, what does the candidate want from the experience? What does the hiring manager want from the experience? How can I make those two meet? What can I do to facilitate the most expedient process with the best solution within the right budget, within the right time? It's really no different to any other, job really is what's the best thing that I can do to solve this problem. So we talked about the the process of, you know, uh, turning the resume, uh, having a copy paste cover letter that you laugh at. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, talking to you on the phone and, you know, the work is good, obviously now they're coming in for an interview and most candidates at this point would feel like, all right, we're at the home stretch, just going to come in, show that I'm not a psycho. But a lot of the times, you know, that that is like the toughest part too. like finally meeting the team and, you know, saying something that might be a little off and people uh, might feel differently afterwards. You know, what do you see um, percentage wise uh, that do, you know, uh, either helps candidate get the job or not in that last pretty much a personality test uh at the very end um well i think walking the walk while you talk the talk is really important mm -hmm. uh if you are going to come in somewhere and say that you're super passionate about this company and the games that they make at least come in knowing about those games because you don't just say that you're passionate about a company and passionate about a certain game and then come in not having played that game. That's a super awkward interview. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, Oh yeah. It says here that you're passionate about uh, this game. You know, how, have you played it? Uh, I've watched a let's play. <laughs> I watched the whole before thing. This interview. <laughs> uh, that sort of thing. Uh, it's, you know, don't try to lie because it will be seen. It will be, it'll be sussed out before you even really make it into the doors and walk the walk. So if you're going to say, if, if you're going to put something on your resume, be prepared to talk about it. And if you are going to go into an interview for a company and they told you what project you're going to be interviewing for, look up that project. If it's live, go play it, you know, look at it to just, just be able to speak about things. Cause if you go in there saying, eh, but I'm more, I, I can talk about this. Like that's not very helpful. Right mm -hmm. now, kind of other ways that you can fit more. If you're, if you're specifically saying culture wise, uh, it can be helpful. It, it can also be kind of dangerous to mention, uh, points in the, 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 the culture history of the company. Like say, for example, you know, you're applying at this company and they were given an award of like best place to work uh, 2017 or whatever. And you can um, come into that interview and say, hey, I heard you guys were voted for best place to work 2017. Uh, I'm just making that up. Mm -hmm. uh, what to you makes it the best place to work? That's a really great interview question, because not only does that show your interest in the company that you've done your research, but it also means that you care about kind of how the company is uh, is working. If you come in there and you're asked questions and you're not prepared, or if you're asked questions and you dodge the questions, or you start talking a lot about a competitor game company or a very similar adjacent company, you're going to look unfocused and you're going to look uninterested. You really, really need to know your subject matter coming in. Mm -hmm. uh, 
it's it's really awkward if you come in and say, hey, well, I haven't played your game, but I played this other competitor's game. <laughs> it's like, great. But why haven't you played our game? Yeah. <laughs> and and I know I know that that sounds a little a little bit selfish and, and stuff, but that's that's what we're here to do. We're here to make great games and we're here to make our games, not their games. We're here to make our games. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can definitely play a competitor's game to, and then, you know, break it down and say, hey, these are the things that they did. These are the things that you guys do. Uh, here's how we can sort of use the best of both worlds. That's totally valuable. But don't don't come in and, and uh, kind of assume the 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 <laughs> the role of another product. Like come in and be like, hey, I'm going to talk to you all day about this other product that you guys didn't make. <laughs> That's <laughs> super awkward. <laughs> It sounds like a designer. Everything you're describing. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying it is. Uh, it can definitely happen across all different things, but uh, uh, yeah, it can definitely happen in design too. Well, I'll say this: I could see that being incredibly important more often in design because it's like if you see someone who's a phenomenal artist, maybe they let it slide more that it's like, oh, they haven't played our game, but I can look at what they've done and tell them mm-hmm. that we need. A X or a thing and they'll be able to make it right but yeah. like if you're not kind of in tune you know with the game or what the <laughs> players expect or what the experience is trying to offer or the fantasy that they're trying to deliver yeah you can't go in there and fake the funk and just be like I'm a great designer I'm sure I'll be able to just lateral into this product and produce yeah. you know great design so I mean that's yeah. it's fair to say that like that kind of thing happens in design more often yeah I mean it can happen in art too for example if you, if you are um, I've been in, in this sort of situation where I have a candidate who's very strong in a stylistic style of art, uh, but not very strong in a realistic art. And I say, hey, listen, you know, your your organic materials aren't super great. Your your um, your realistic textures, your you know, your hair, those sort of things. These these aren't uh, at the level we need them to be for a realistic style. And they're like, no, I can do it. Just get it. Just let me. Just let me do it. I can do it. And, and as much as I like to, I believe in giving people chances and as much as I believe in people pushing themselves, I, I can most of the time tell when you're probably not going to be able to reach that level. So Mm, snap. Right. (laughs) I would just be like, look, you, yes, I believe you can do it. That's why I'm asking you to do it right now and show it to me. (laughs) Yes. And, and, uh, I know a lot of people hate tests out there. I think Mm. tests are super useful. Uh, in my personal history as a recruiter, I've never given a test that wasn't fully backed with the belief that the person could probably do it mm-hmm. and to absolutely necessary because their work was somehow not covering information that I needed to know. Mm-hmm. Um, it, obviously, it's different to every company. And I've, I've also had applicants who come in and the first thing on the cover letter says, like, I don't do tests. And if you take tests, then F you like that sort of thing. And that's <laughs> really not a great attitude to enter the, the process in either. <laughs> Some people, I think, think they're beyond tests because mm-hmm. their, their work somehow stands out for itself. And I, I do believe that if your work covers it, then there's no reason you should take a test. I'm only ever going to give you a test if I feel like you need it. I feel like I need to see something that I haven't seen from you. And I feel like you're capable of that. Mm-hmm. So it's it's never supposed to be insulting. I feel like people get really insulted by tests. And yeah. it's especially some art folks that have been in the art space for a while. And they're like, fuck your test. I got a portfolio. <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> test my resume. <laughs> And like, remember the point I made about keeping your portfolio up to date. Hey, you know, if, if I think that you need a test and you maybe don't think you needed a test, check your portfolio. Like (laughs) maybe what you had was really not in line, you know, with what you thought that Mm. we wanted. So, yeah. And sometimes is maybe the test is a compliment, right? Like if your portfolio doesn't show what we're looking for, but we give you the test it, to me, that's like a, we're on the fence. You know what I mean? It's like, uh-huh. we can see some skill, but we don't see the application directly for what we need, but yeah. maybe you have it. So if you're willing mm-hmm. to do this test, right? Like, is that mm-hmm. ever a case or, or am I? Absolutely. Especially when you're looking for something extremely niche, like you're looking for a, a designer for a card game and you don't have a lot of designers that, specifically worked on card games which mm. can definitely happen 
happen. Okay. Or, or for example, you know, um, a really classic example is at Obsidian. During the development of South Park, it was extremely difficult to find artists in the style of South Park because it's it's that <laughs> style. They all work at South Park. <laughs> <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, it's to find someone who actually does that specific style and that specific style well. Mm. Not easy. And so these tests that were given was really just to show, hey, you've probably got a million great pieces in your portfolio, but if they're not the style of South Park, probably not going to be relevant to this project. Well, I look at my watch again, and this time it says that we've been podcasting for over an hour. Oh, snap. I know. It just snuck right up on us. So, Maria, I'm not going to hold you away from your prize any longer. At the end of our podcast episodes, you know, we uh, take a step back from the mic to let you have an opportunity to talk directly to the audience to promote something you're involved in. Tell us something you're excited about or just, you know, shine some light on something you need to raise more awareness for. So without further ado, Maria, the floor is yours. Definitely. Well, if I um, one, I love Game Dev Unchained podcast. So if you're not following Game Dev Unchained podcast, follow it now. <laughs> and then the other thing is follow me on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. uh, where on, on LinkedIn, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I post a lot of updates that are, you know, jobs or, um, Hey, great resource for, for it's almost always game industry related resources. Mm-hmm. So, uh, follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, hopefully my name will be somewhere yes. in the podcast title. So yes. you can copy paste it. Cause don't even bother making me spell it out right now. <laughs> And the other, I guess, thing that I could, other two things that I want to uh, broadcast a bit is I recently discovered a really great uh, resource for uh, for human resources, but also really good for anybody interested in how to get jobs. A uh, website called Dear People Ops. It specializes in human resources for the startup space, but I felt like their advice was super super on point and super relevant to pretty much anyone. So definitely check out dearpeopleops.com. And then the other thing that I'm going to plug, which is not really a plug, I am working on a book type thing. What? (laughs) I am working on a book uh, to teach you how to get the jobs. (laughs) So uh, if you follow me on LinkedIn, you'll probably be the first to find out when it goes live. So you should do that because that's going to happen. Awesome. I've, I've, I mean, I've said it on, on a lot of recording now, so I, I have to do it. So I have to. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, Maria, we've been uh, we've been rather excited about the guests who come on our show and, you know, promote special things. So you have a commitment from Game Dev Unchained to purchase a copy of your book. Unfortunately, we're going to give it. Well, not unfortunately, but we're going to give that copy away to one of our readers. So all you need to do is finish the book and then we will purchase and supply one of our readers with that free copy uh, on your behalf. So. Awesome. That's very cool. And also a lot of pressure. Yeah, exactly. That's why I do it. That's why I do it. That's how you guarantee results. That's right. (laughs) Our two listeners are actively waiting for your (laughs) (laughs) Well, I got Brandon on my left and Maria on my right. It's Larry Charles signing off. I'm saying goodnight. It's Brandon Fan. See you guys next week. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to stay in touch or continue to follow our developments, then you need to go to facebook.com forward slash game dev unchained and drop a like and stay in touch. You can also get the direct feed for this podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash game dev unchained.